Do you have a story to tell about a terrible medical conversation? I want to hear from you. Please email me at christine at christinemeyermd.com. I can't wait for you to tell me more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tell Me More. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Meyer. On the show, we break down some of the worst conversations in healthcare. Why? Because I believe that together we can build better ones. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Tell Me More, where we are trying to uncover the secrets to better conversations in healthcare. My guest today, Kathy, has a very long story, not in terms of how to tell it, but in terms of how long it took to unfold. Kathy, welcome to my show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So I was just looking at your notes and really your whole thing started in 2011 and literally 2021, you got to a place of goodness. So 10 years, your medical saga took to unfold. And along the way, you saw many, many doctors, specialists, and had many different opinions and basically did not have good results until 10 years later, right? So start at the very beginning for me. Tell me how your problem started. It all started with a cold that wouldn't go away. I got a really bad bronchial infection, took antibiotics, got better. And then two or three weeks later, I would dive back down. And this went on for like six months. And finally, I was referred to a pulmonologist, which I went to. And he diagnosed me with bronchiectasis, which is a reasonably common issue. But he didn't, he didn't suggest I should take any antibiotics or anything like that. Just know you have bronchiectasis and that you'll be prone to bronchitis and colds. Just to get a little more from your backstory. So you are super fit, super healthy. In fact, you're traveling all over the world at this time, right? Correct. Working, like doing everything. And you're like, oh, well, I was just, was it China? You were, was. that was the <laughs> trip to China. And, you know, I remember even saying to you, well, God, you just got back from China. Like, of course, your immune system is beaten down and you're going to get sick. And it wasn't until this happened multiple times that you were like, well, I'm used to traveling. Like, I shouldn't get this sick every single time I get on a plane and come back. And and was that the pattern? Was it always associated with a big trip or was it just like you were always traveling? And so it I, seemed I was like always, that. I was always traveling and I never got sick. So, yeah. and when I got sick, I got sick in like right after Thanksgiving when the families were all together. That was the right, first right. time. I got sick coming back from that trip from China, which I was really sick, but I had been sick before mm. and I kept getting better. So when I went to China, I thought I was better. But while I was there, I did that dive again. So, mm -hmm. but when I came back, I was, I was really sick and everybody said, oh, it's a virus then. And then that didn't work. And it was just as bouncing back and forth until we realized there was something up. But even after seeing the pulmonologist, I spent the summer again, like every four or five weeks, I'd get this really bad bronchial infection. And then I got really sick again in like August, September. And the recommendation, your recommendation was, let's go to a specialized lung institutes, which we did. 
And a friend of mine actually had a connection, which was a very senior person there. And I went and they immediately said, oh, I know what's wrong with you. All my patients have it and tested me and said I had MAC, which is mycoavian complex. It's a pernicious bacterial infection that doesn't have a gold standard, frankly, for treatment. And he put me on an antibiotic cocktail three times a week and basically said, you know, it's possible that you'll be cured in a couple of years and it's possible you'll never be cured, but let's see how it goes. He figured it out, right? I hear it'd been almost a year and I thought, this is it. I, I have it all figured out. So the, the first truth- thing that happens is you get this cold-like sim- repetitive sickness and then maybe it's too many times. So you see a pulmonologist and he says, ah, you have bronchiectasis, which for people who might not know what that is, it is it is a really common disease that happens when your bronchioles or your airways are damaged, typically from recurrent infections, and they get thin, and then they tend to harbor bacteria, and then you get this periodic kind of flare-up of the bronchiectasis where you get a cough, and it's productive, and you just feel miserable. But then you get this MAC diagnosis layered on where, yeah, you have bronchiectasis, but your real problem is this mycobacterium avium complex infection, which needs to be treated with multiple antibiotics for a really long time. And you're like, well, great. Let me do what I have to do because I want to feel better. And this was a very specialized pulmonologist at a lung center. So can you tell me a little bit about your conversation with that doctor when you first saw him and his demeanor and how you felt about that conversation? Well, I was grateful he saw me. So I have to be really honest. I thought, you know, I felt privileged. Like, wow, I got really lucky. I got to be with him. But he was a man of few words. Like he was mm. one of those people that were in and out. And, you know, you saw more of his staff. And then, you know, he would kind of pop in and declare everything. And, you know, the thing for him was all my patients have it. I'm sure he did more things like lung transplants and things like that. And so he felt very accustomed to it. And I felt like it was just so common for him that I needed to listen and to do what he told me to do. And so you, know, you I did come, that. I did. And I did it for, you know, I will say I did it for five years. And at one point he took me off the drug without any testing. He just took me off to see what would happen. And I got really sick. So he put me back on and I started to get some blood in my sputum. And maybe for some people, they don't care. It, totally freaked me out. And it was little dots. I mean, small amounts. And he kept saying, hey, this is just what it's going to be. You know, it's like varicose veins, like these bronchioles are, you know, they're getting raw. And, you know, we're trying to have you not get colds. But that's what's going to happen. That is what it is. And I didn't like that. But whatever. Did you see him when you first saw blood? Like, how did you get that information to him? There's a portal. (laughs) <laughs> and you, <laughs> you go into the portal and I never discussed it with him and, or they, or the, and they might call you back, but I never, ever, ever had a chance to talk to him. It was always somebody in the chain of things. And wow. they had me in this program that was really meant for people who had COPD and I didn't have COPD. And every time I go anywhere, they all say, oh, you have COPD. And it's like, I don't, <laughs> I don't have COPD. And so the symptoms that I had 
it didn't register them differently than the symptoms of Mac, but I was close enough. So I would could get hold of somebody and they would always just say like, well, is it more than a tablespoon or four tablespoons? And I was like, a dot is wrong. It's just <laughs> wrong. Right. But, How do you even quantify that? Like, I love when medical providers use, like, is oh. it a quarter cup? Is it, I, I can't even do that when I'm talking about water. Like, how do I you quantify to, your blood? Sometimes I got so ridiculous, I would send him a picture. You know, like, <laughs> I would just, I have to delete those pictures out of my, I tried to be open and, you know, like, okay, this is what I have to live with. I, but again, I, I stayed really healthy. I tried to exercise. I tried to do all of it. But five years into it. For five years, you followed this plan. Five years, I followed all of his plans. And you didn't really ever feel fantastic. No, because I always had this kind of, you know, junky cough and I still was getting sick. And every time I would get sick, they'd throw me on steroids, steroids, more, Mm. more antibiotics on top of it. I had a lot of steroids in that, but you know, I guess life gets busy and I was doing a lot of things and I could manage it, I guess. Right. That's what I thought. But five years into it, we were on vacation in the Outer Banks. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I was gagging on blood. And I don't mean a little bit. I'm talking cups and cups. Blood was gushing. I was panic stricken, assumed I was dying that night. We went to the hospital and the guy said, "Ah, I think it's a bloody nose. Your lungs seem okay. I think it was a bloody nose. And I think he's crazy, but who am I? Like, I wanted to believe it was a bloody nose. But it was the most violent thing I had ever gone through. So we left and we went back to Philly to go to an ENT. He says, I can't see anything. He just kind of shrugged. It took me weeks to get to my specialist, my pulmonologist. And he kind of shrugged. But this time my husband went with me and he had never come to an appointment. (laughs) I have a feeling. Uh, I know that made a difference. This is so funny because I just did an episode with another patient who had a, you know, a totally different problem, but took her husband to the appointment. And that seemed to be a turning point. And we had a conversation about that, about how when you bring in the reinforcements, all of a sudden the tone of the conversation changes because it's so bad that you had to bring somebody with you. Not that you're not perfectly capable of telling your own story, but you just listen to more carefully when you're so sick that you had to bring someone. But I just want to go back to that mm-hmm. vacation moment because I feel like that was really an inflection point in your story, right? So you're in the outer banks of North Carolina. And for people who are not from this area, the Northeast, that's like sort of a remote island <laughs> off the coast of North Carolina. There's no airport. You know, it's like a long ass drive to get back to Philadelphia. I mean, what was even the nearest hospital to you that there you went to? There is a hospital in Nags Head. So um, there, is, there is a local hospital and I went to the emergency room. And, but, you know, again, he said, I said, is there an ENT here? He said, no. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and, you know, it, it was just, and I, turning point, like you can imagine, I just thought, I, I just, there's no way that was normal. No way right. that was normal for a nosebleed. No way any of it. It wasn't coming out my nose. I mean, it ultimately was because I was gagging, but that's not how it was coming. And I knew better. And I kept telling him, he kept saying, ah, oh, your lungs look fine. And, but no CT scan, no nothing. 
And so they just, you just took it upon yourself to immediately come home. Mm-hmm. It was time. You so, were stable enough to do that. And you, it, so you, it stopped. It stopped. I, it didn't yeah. happen again. So, so you got finally, in the car, came home. Scheduled an EMT. You can imagine that took time because that's what I called. The, I called the specialist. He said, yeah, go to an EMT. It's a nosebleed. And you wow. know, I had to go through all those tests and they were like, I see nothing. I see. You called your nothing. bronchiectasis doctor who has told you. But I mean, I got not that people. long ago that you're right. You got his people who had heard you say or read your messages or whatever that you had little dots of blood in your sputum, and they had pressed you to quantify like tablespoon, teaspoon, cup. So you, they've had this conversation with you. Then you call and you're like, okay, I had cups of blood. I'm telling you what you have asked me in the past. I'm quantifying for you cups of blood. I was in the ER. They told me it was a nosebleed. But this has to be related to my lung thing because we've talked about blood in the sputum before. And they're like, oh, no, go see an ENT. Well, he did say, now, if this ever happens in Philly, you need to come to my hospital. And then I'll be able to, but now it's too, it's too late. It's, you know, whatever's mm-hmm. happened, happened. There's nothing we can see. So anyway, that was kind of how the conversation went. And I think my husband was just so upset. By, I mean, he was traumatized, I think, by it. So we finally convinced him that I needed to go to an infectious disease specialist. And I know so much oh, more wait, about that Oh, wait, 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 wait. Because you went to the ENT and they said, this was not a nosebleed. There's nothing here. Or it's healed in the time that I had to, you know, it takes time to get an appointment, especially if you don't have a regular doctor who sees you. Right. So then I got so, to him. Yeah. After that, what what brought you to the point of, infectious disease how did you conclude that should be your next step i mean he might have helped we were just like there has to be something else there has to be this is this is not normal there has to be something else and he said and and maybe he actually said it the problem is infectious disease is is like a mile wide so right. we went to a person who and she knew nothing about lung infections she knew more oh about like she really didn't and they ran all these tests, which of course I can't interpret. I, which, you know, we'll come back to later on. She found out that I was becoming resistant to the antibiotics I was on. I didn't, I couldn't read all those test results. I had no idea. So her answer was to increase the three times a week to seven days a week. That was the answer. So now of the I'm antibiotics, to, of the antibiotics of, of which one of them I was becoming resistant to. So that was the answer. And this went on for like two years, but I will say I was like really getting anxious. I was having monthly, you know, blood in my sputum, not anything like that, but enough that it was making me anxious. And I would call and I think they were getting, I mean, honestly, I think they were getting tired of me, Mm. but I, I just kept saying there's something so, so wrong with this. This isn't normal. I would try to read it. And every time you go to the internet, oh my God, you know, like only awful things, only awful things are associated with blood and sputum. So Mm. it just, you know, I I, I was really, I mean, my husband was like, we've got to find something different. This is ridiculous. We started to research other local doctors. But again, like, I felt like he's the best of the best. Like, what is this? I don't get it. I don't understand it. And, I was just um, going to say, like this particular doctor, I was driving into Philadelphia not long ago, and he's literally on a billboard 
advertising the lung center at a at a very you know well known hospital. So yes, I mean you had the guy, arguably the well, guy. I also think his specialty is very different. You know, his specialty. He probably did a favor by seeing. I mean, there's a lot of things I can go back and say. It's probably a lot of things. But anyway, I guess don't ask me why I, I let it go for two years, but I got really sick. And actually, you really helped me. I couldn't get hold of him. I was really sick. I started to get a fever. I was getting lots of blood in my sputum. I couldn't get an appointment with him, but I got an appointment with you. And in the meantime, he issues, says, go get an x-ray, chest x-ray. So I get a chest x-ray, but go and see you and you get it. And they say, oh, she has pneumonia. So I'm now put into the hospital because they think it's all these antibiotics. I've got pneumonia. This is not good. Only to find out when we got there, that there was another pulmonologist who came to see and said, no, it's not pneumonia. It is your Mac acting up in big ways. But he had a real heart to heart with us. And he said, how long? You've got these dates wrong. And I'm like, no, no, this is how long. And he said, are you using inhaled antibiotics? And I'm like, no, no. In the very beginning, he did it for about two or three months, but no. And he just said, look, you need another pulmonologist. You got to find somebody else. It's not me because I'm a pulmonologist, but this isn't my specialty. Mm. You need to find somebody in that specialty. And you helped us, <laughs> you know, you really researched it. And we went out to Denver to a leading pulmonology hospital. And we, it took a lot while. We had to apply to get a second opinion. And they came back and said, well, we have a program that we'd love to have you do. And you have to agree to be there a minimum of 10 business days, or not a minimum, wow. a maximum of 10 business days. And I was like, I am in. I don't care what it takes. I'm in. And in March of 2020, if you can believe it, we arrived on March 17th of 2020 as the world is shutting down. We're oh in a pulmonology hospital. They are the leading you know, people on COVID. And they took me. I was the last patient into this program. I traveled, oh. they took me in. And there were a couple of tests they wouldn't do. They normally would have done a bronchoscopy and endoscopy, but they didn't do those. They did those six months later when they could, but they saw me. And this program was so amazing. I saw pulmonologists, cardiologists, audiologists. I saw every doctor, you know, a gastroenterologist. They tested probe, blood work, sputum, EKG, echoes, EDGs, bronchoscopy, CT scans. They knew every part of my body. Mm. And then they all come together as a team. And they discuss this patient and say, this is what we're going to do for them. This is what is going on. And they were interested in not only what was wrong with me, the full scope from acid reflux, do I have any heart conditions, to all of it, to why? Why? Yes, you have bronchiectasis. Yes, you have MAC. Now, they could say, you got MAC probably because you have bronchiectasis. But why did you get bronchiectasis? What led to that? And one of the things they did is they spent a long time on family history. I mean, like, like weird, odd questions. Like at one point, they said, what is your like, heritage? Are you, you know, where do you come? Where do your people come from? And, you know, I said, well, Irish with a little bit of German. They were like, Irish. And then they got down to this thing about lung disorders and said, any emphysema, all that. And then they said, how about 
cystic fibrosis. And then I was like, nah, I don't know anybody with cystic fibrosis. And then I hesitated and I said, but my daughter was just pregnant and had that, you know, they now do a lot of tests on genetic things. And she's a carrier for CF. And the oh, whole room went silent. What? They all went silent. And I heard somebody say, we're going to order a sweat test, which is a very inexpensive or reasonably inexpensive test to find out chlorine levels, chloride levels in your blood. So I had that done. Well, and the other thing he said is, we find people of Irish descent have a much higher propensity for CF than others. And we're also seeing many, many patients being recognized that they have CF in their later years. This is kind of a new phenomenon because mm-hmm. the testing is so much better and research. So in the end, my chlorine, now these levels were not normal. And they did a genetic test to find out at age 61, I was diagnosed with CF. So for them, that gave them the answer as to why. While it was a mild case of CF, obviously, if I didn't even know I had it for 61 years, it did you know, create this, my lungs to become inelastic, which probably caused the bronchiectasis, which probably caused all those colds mm-hmm. and the MAC. So now they had the why and they knew what, and they went to the how. And I'm telling you, they completely changed the drug routine. These were like the newest. Some of them are in trials. I was part of all of it. They were aggressive. And the other thing was they were aggressive in all of that. But they also started out with basics. He said to me, so what do you do for air clearance? And I didn't even know what that meant. I said, mm. I don't, what, what? He's like, for the bronchiectasis, forget the MAC, forget all of that. For the bronchiectasis, what do you do for air clearance? And I said, nothing. I don't even know. I don't, I don't understand. What so, is air clearance? Well, air clearance, you can do it in a variety of ways, but I have now a compression vest. So I take like a butyrol on a nebulizer. It takes 10 minutes. And then I put this vest on that's attached to a compressor. And I push a button. It's all pre-programmed. And for 20 minutes, it just hits my back. And wow. I do my emails. I read my books. I, you know, I do all of it. And I do it morning and night. I just, the vest just at night. And so, you know, it's like a 45 minute routine every day, but it keeps all that stuff going. And I don't, I haven't had a cold since I started in all of this mess. I've never had COVID. I don't have a cold. I don't have any of it. So So the first thing they do is to ask you about air clearance. They take you off of all those antibiotics. They they put put me on some pretty rugged ones. (laughs) Yeah. And, and put you on some treatments for CF that are just kind of coming about. Yes. In fact, two days ago, the New York Times had an article in the opinion section that was a woman who said, this is what it's like to learn that you're going to live longer than you thought. And it's all about the drug Trikafta, which it was a miracle drug that was created, was found probably only, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago. And it has been a miracle drug for people, people who thought they were going to live until their 20s or live, you know, now they think to their 60s or beyond, but knowing you know, 40 years is a long time for a lot of discoveries. So it's just been amazing. And I'm on that now. And not so much because it's going to do anything as dramatic as it does for some people, but it will hopefully stop the deterioration, the further deterioration. And so I'm still within normal bounds of, you know, like, I look like a normal person in terms of my breathing capacity and ability. And hopefully that'll stay like that. Yes, I have been scarring from bronchiectasis, but so do a whole lot of other people. 
and they live complete, absolute, normal, long lives. But the drugs that they put me on were for the Mac. And I mean, it was a routine. It probably took me an hour and a half in the morning because I had nebulized antibiotics and then I had to do my air clearance routine and I had to do all this sterilization, all of that. And then another hour at the end of the day, kind of a similar thing with a lot of meds. But in nine months, I got my first negative sputum test in almost a decade. And I was able then there, you know, the point was once you get that, it's one year on the antibiotic routine and I stuck with it. So last year I got off all of it and I'm just, I do my air clearance. You know, it's kind of funny. This doctor, he does a podcast and he did one on bronchiectasis. And he says, I always say to my patients, there are three things you should do if you have bronchiectasis, air clearance, air clearance, air clearance. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm really, I'm really regimented about it. And they're also little devices, an aerobica. I don't know if you know what an aerobica is. No. It's a little, it's a little, it's a very inexpensive device where you blow into it and it creates a rumble in your chest. It's really easy. And so when I travel, I don't take the vest. I'll take my aerobica and just, you know, suck on it and blow into it. You just blow into it and it just creates a bit of a rumble in your chest. And so there are these easy techniques that you can do. And I am like, it is. I mean, it's hard for me to look back and think, gosh, it was a decade to get through it. But it was like night and day from the point I entered Denver. And I I have been back two or three times, three times, four times. And they don't need to see me unless I get it back. But, you know, there's another one other interesting thing I would say to you, mm -hmm. this, this whole thing about the whole body, the whole person. When I was in my prior pulmonologist, I kept saying, I have horrid acid reflux. And they were like, oh, yeah, everyone has it. It's because of all the antibiotics you're on. It's just a cause and effect. But in Denver, they said, "Uh uh-uh, we believe that, yes, the CF caused the bronchiectasis. And, yes, the bronchiectasis created the condition for the MAC to enter and be trapped. But we think that the actual bacteria came from your gut through the acid reflux into your lungs. So they are very aggressive about treating the GERD because they don't want the re-entry of this into your lungs. So it's just a completely different, you know, and so I'm very aware. I I sleep on a wedge and I um, do all the things you're supposed to do, but just a different, different process. So I want to go back and just recap, Kathy, and talk about the conversations, right? So you had conversations with the super, you know, pulmonologist, billboard pulmonologist who probably saw you because you knew someone who knew someone who got you in there, but maybe this wasn't his thing. But anyway, you go through his treatment plan for like five years the communication with that particular doctor, he you said he's a man of few words, like many super specialists are, and there wasn't much direct communication. A lot of it was like through his office and so on. And then you see an emergency room doctor in a little hospital, you know, that's not helpful. You see an ENT, that's not helpful. I want to talk about the pulmonologist you saw mm. in the hospital who had the heart to heart with you and had 
the humility to say, you need a pulmonologist, but it's not me because I don't know this well enough, but I know enough to say to you, you need another pulmonologist. How did you feel after that specific conversation? Angry. Mm. <laughs> Honestly, hurt, kind of hurt. But what he did was he made me say, we're going to find somebody. We're going to find somebody, whatever it takes. I thought small and was like Googling all the doctors locally. And it may not be small. I mean, that may not, that may be completely unfair. You went big, you <laughs> went to the best and the brightest, but it, it definitely got my butt in gear to say, I'm definitely going to do it. I also though, but I, I was frustrated. I remember right before I left, I saw you and I said, what can I expect? And she said, I think you can expect that good things from this point on, but the damage that's been done has been done and you're not going to be able to get that back. And that's the only thing where I harbor a little, you know, I'm disappointed, disappointed in myself and disappointed in the process that was allowed to go that far. And I think for me, what just boggled my mind was they told me when I arrived in Denver that before we even saw you, before we even talked to you, we already had a completely different routine for you. And the things they did for me, the air clearance is a different animal. I don't understand that. But the things they did for me on the drugs, I mean, that was the newest, the best, the brightest, that, you know, like it was the most recent research on all of it. And there was so much. The other thing they did in this, in this hospital was I had to take classes on mm. what is bronchiectasis? What is MAC? How do you treat it? I mean, it was, I, I spent a half hour or an hour with somebody on how to clean your machines and how to, I mean, they took me, there was so little chance that I could do things wrong. And they too have a portal, but that portal is like, honestly, your portal, like it's the easiest way to get hold of people. And doctors, I mean, this doctor that I saw there counter those conversations. He often answers me personally. He's called me. Like when my final diagnosis with CF came in, he personally called me and said, I want to hear about that conversation and that relationship because this is really the quarterback. So you have this huge team in Denver and they are a well-oiled machine. They have their act together. They know their thing inside and out, but you need one person who's like in charge, right? Mm -hmm. And that's this doctor. Are you comfortable sharing his name? If you are. Yeah. His name was Dr. Lomash. And I could never say enough good things about that man. He was the kindest, most generous, generous with his time, his wisdom. He's practical. Like he doesn't get too wrapped up in things. I, but he just put me at ease. He kept telling me things, you know, like an, an interesting story was between when I went on their regiment, he said, things are going to get worse before they get better. There is going to be blood in the sputum. And I don't know how to describe it. I told him I would cry like it freaks me out when I got blood. It was so bad. And because these were so harsh, the whole point of all these regiments was to get everything out. When I came back, I went in, in September, in um, March, and then I came back in September and they ordered a bronchoscopy so they could go into the lungs. I was a basket case before I went in because I was convinced they were going to come out and say, you cancer, you have whatever. There's just no way anybody could. And he stayed with my husband and with me that whole process. And when I came out of the anesthesia, he was right there saying, everything is fine. 
There was nothing there. There is nothing unusual. You're going to be great. And it was just like not many doctors will do that. But I just, and I can't imagine, you must have thousands of patients, but it made all the difference in the world. And his staff, I always felt like he was directing them. And not that they couldn't do it themselves. I didn't mean it that way. More that there was communication always going. But I love the team approach. The team approach was really helpful because again, if the gastroenterologist was saying, no, I want this, they all listened and they all came at it together. Like I didn't feel like, because you know, a lot of times with specialists, the problem is you can't see the forest through the trees. You know, everybody is talking about their their own lane. Yeah. Yeah. But it was really a different conversation. He, he was just, I was kind of disappointed. I can't go back. (laughs) But and also because I do feel there, everything was being treated, you know, like they wanted to know all of it. Where now with specialists, it's more like if it's related to CF, I go here. If it's related to, so, but it was great. It was, I'm, I am more than grateful for, because my life had changed. Wow. So if you, if you had to say to someone else that has a, has Number one, recurrent colds. Number two, been diagnosed with bronchiectasis. Number three, has MAC. Number four, finds themselves on five years of multiple antibiotics. If anyone listening is in somewhere in that path, what would you say to them? The first thing I would say is if you don't think things are going the way you want them to go, get a second opinion and don't be afraid of a second opinion. I was. I was afraid of offending people. I was afraid of looking stupid. I was afraid of all the wrong things. But for a whole host of other reasons, I was also afraid to even tell them. And But I've learned over time that most doctors would welcome them and would actually help you find it. And so if you have a doctor that doesn't seem, that seems put off by it, don't walk away, run away. Go mm. find a second opinion. <laughs> right. And then when you go find somebody with a specialist, Make sure they specialize in what ails you. Like I didn't know that pulmonologists all didn't know a ton about bronchiectasis or a ton about math. But if you start going, even our local doctors, like it is unbelievable the things that they all specialize in. So I wouldn't even see anybody that didn't say their specialty was MAC and bronchiectasis. So make sure you definitely do that. And then the last thing I would say is, when you do all of that, and you could find yourself in a whole host of specialists, and this is kind of where I'm at right now, and don't forget your general practitioner, because again, it's the forest and the trees. Like all of a sudden, I'm starting to worry that I can't put it all together, and I just don't know enough. And while all the specialists are awesome in their lane, I, I just fear I'll miss something at this stage of the game. And so you, you you mentioned the second opinion, and I think that's such a good and important point because, you know, if your doctor tries to talk you out of a second opinion, that's a red flag. But more than that, sometimes the second opinion, and we happen to live in an area of fantastic medical centers, right? We have like six tertiary care, teaching hospitals within a very reasonable commute to where we are. But even that, they didn't have exactly what you needed. And so you 
were willing to go all the way out to Denver, Colorado. We're in Philadelphia, Denver, Colorado. It's a, what, four or five hour flight. You had to stay there for 10 days. You uprooted your husband, you know, put everything on hold. So I think that's really important too. Like not just get the second opinion, but get the second opinion wherever right. you need to get it to get the best care, right? Right. So what were your maybe hangups or hesitations? Were, did you have any about going out to Denver when you first heard that? No. Hmm. I mean, I we could do it. I'm retired. You know, like the whole other things. Like I was retired at the time and not a single one. I was so desperate for answers. And there, the other interesting thing about that hospital, because, you know, I researched all of them. That hospital is, a you know, it's, it's a leading pulmonology hospital. It's National Jewish Health. It is. It is about pulmonology and infectious disease is on top of this. So it was such a difference that these people just understood all of these infectious diseases other than somebody, you know, it's apparently a different answer. And usually it's over here, you know, it's to the side, it's somebody you refer to, but this pulmonology was under infectious disease. So it made a huge difference. I really didn't have anything. I mean, because once I got, this was a program that they was pretty well oiled. I didn't know about it at the time. I literally asked for a second opinion. They came back with this, but they had, you know, hotels that you could stay in and they had, you know, they basically gave you a a pretty easy roadmap on, on how to get it. Now, my first trip was really interesting because the world was shutting down right. and, you know, Crazy. and the doctors were being, you know, they're in and out and, but they made me, you know, they made me feel really, really comfortable. The second trip was even more interesting because now we're in the middle of COVID and this is, you know, one of the places that is, you know, tracking and treating and advising. But I always felt like, you know, I just, I just, no, I think I could have gone anywhere and I just felt like I got to give it a shot because if they can tell me what's wrong and fix it, then it would always be worth it. Can I ask you, this might be a personal question, Kathy, but I know people are going to wonder this. Was this consultation and trip covered by your insurance? All the hospital, the hotels weren't, the flights weren't. If I paid a couple hundred dollars, you know, it was just the deductibles or whatever. Every test, everything they did was covered under insurance every trip I made, every trip I made. So it was just deductibles. I mean, I think they saved in in the long run, they probably saved a ton of money. Right. Right. That's, that's so important too, because I think people are listening to this story thinking, oh, well, isn't it nice? I wish I could just hop on a plane and go to Colorado and spend 10 days, you know, getting this executive concierge level treatment. But yeah, that's basically what you got, but it was fully covered by your insurance. Now, every insurance is different and, you know, but that shouldn't be a holdup. You know, people should investigate, of course, to make sure any out-of-pocket expenses are within their reach, but people should not assume that you can't go to a different place far away, the best place, and and have it be covered by your insurance because it obviously can and often is. Yeah, and and I think also that they knew the insurance well. So, for example, it's very difficult to get a deep dive genetic test done. It's expensive and insurance doesn't do it. But because of the way they did it, they did a sweat test first. That is, you know, a reasonably common, it has to be done in hospital, but it's not that expensive. 
And then they did the, you know, what you get done when you're pregnant kind of test, which verified I had it. And that then gave insurance permission or the insurance gave them permission to have me locally do a full so that that the CF center could know exactly what genes they were dealing with. And because the Trikafta works with some combinations, but not all combinations. And so it was, it was very interesting. But no, I was kind of stunned by it all, to be honest, that in the end, you know, my drugs are really expensive, but, you know, most of it was covered. And the other thing too is there are so many payment assist plans out there. I have insurance where my drugs and my medical care combine together. And a really interesting thing that happens is I have an assist program with Trikafta and Trikaftacin is hugely expensive. It's a brand new drug. And so I have a max out of pocket of like $7,000. And so in January, when that first drug goes in, they say you owe $7,000. But Trikafta will pay the insurance company that $7,000 and think about it because then the rest of the year, the insurance company will pay for my... Pay them. Wow. So I don't pay it. And so I also get my max out of pocket which helps me for the rest of my care. So like you really have to research and think about that because a lot of there are lots of coverages like that where the drugs yeah. and the medical care are combined and if you high prices. So I mean I definitely thought about it. I don't want to spend unnecessarily. But sure. I didn't have it was and there were a couple of times that you would have to push back on the insurance and just say, will you look at it again? And I have never yet been denied coverage on something. Wow. So fortunate. So I want to close with something maybe not related to the medical providers and the conversations, but you had an evolution of diagnoses. So you start out with a cold, you end up with bronchiectasis, you have MAC, a chronic infection. But now today, you are a 60-something-year-old woman with grown children and grandchildren, and a diagnosis of cystic fibrosis. How how has that diagnosis impacted you personally and your conversations with your family? To be honest, like, I, I, I don't think a lot about it for me. I mean, to me, because if I go out to read about it, it doesn't apply to me. There is no research out there that talks about people who get diagnosed this late in life and I have normal lung function. So for me, it's just like, I guess I'm lucky. I got this medicine. I'm going to live my life and I'm going to follow orders. It was a big thing for me about my children because, you know, they're in the midst of having kids and, you know, it requires, it, it would, it, it's advisable for them to go get genetic testing to understand what their risks are because they all were going to be carriers. There's no chance of them not being at least a carrier because I have two genes. I'm given one. And, you know, like one daughter has what, what I call the evil one, which is the one mm-hmm. that is most typically known, but the other has the mild one. And yeah. so that is, I just think something that we all have to be honest with, but at least I could give them the heads up and they could go and be tested and, understand it but you know it's kind of heartbreaking you you feel like you're you know you're at fault somehow um, for passing something like this along you know at the same time my parents had no idea <laughs> they're both right. gone now they're, and, 
honestly, I feel like you, you've done everything, you know, been your own advocate and, and by default then advocating for your family because you didn't stop. I mean, so in that 10 years it took for you to get to the CF diagnosis, your adult children could have already been family planning and, you know, there's a lot of that. One already had her kids. Everything's, everything seems to be fine. So, right. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, so much, you know, goodness and, you know, I don't want to call it luck, but essentially luck. And now knowledge is power. And like you said, you're living a very full, healthy life that's interrupted by, you know, a lot of diligence in your healthcare plan, but generally doing everything, right? Nothing's getting in your way. Nothing. Nothing gets in my way. Nothing. Awesome. Anything you want to leave us with besides, you know, it's called the National Jewish Lung Health. Center. National Jewish Health. National Jewish National Jewish Health. I mean, for anyone listening, if you have bronchiectasis or you know a super difficult to diagnose pulmonary condition, it sounds like Kathy can't recommend this place enough, and I second that. Just having watched your journey, anything else you want to leave us with? No, I just keep fighting. You know, it's a complicated, it's a big maze, and. I want to believe that everybody has the best intentions, but we also have some amazing doctors everywhere. And and sometimes maybe it's just personality. I don't know, but just keep the fight and keep the hope because I thought I couldn't have imagined that this would have been the end result because it seems reasonably easy to me. And I'm happy with the outcome when it's all said and done. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here and sharing your story. If you are listening and you have a similar or totally different story about a complicated medical diagnosis that led to good or bad medical conversations and impacted your health, whether like Kathy's over a decade or over a few months, please email me, Christine at Christine Meyer, MD. I want to hear your story. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Are you ready to join our conversation? Just go to Facebook and search Christine Meyer, MD. Follow us to join 14,000 other people committed to creating better conversations in healthcare.